Would you take your Bibles and turn to 2 Peter? We have finished our look at 1 Peter last week, and we're going to continue now in his second letter uh, as we go through uh, this particular book. I'd like to read for us verses 1 to 4 as we begin. If you have a Bible with, you can follow along. If you don't, there are some uh, under the seats where you are, and you could use one of those as well. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world that is caused by evil desires. Let's pray. Father, as we begin this new letter, I pray that by your Holy Spirit you would open our eyes to see the truth that is just jam-packed in here. It speaks so powerfully to our life, to our present day, and the situations that we face, just like it did to Peter and to those that he was writing to in that generation. Father, thank you that you are still the same. Thank you that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we look to you to guide us this morning. Amen. Well, in 2008, our three sons hiked a 57-mile stretch of the Continental Divide. Uh, They were out in Colorado near Steamboat Springs. We had been out there for a family vacation. And our sons wanted to have some time to kind of bond together. You know, Matt had just gotten married, and he's thinking, you know, this may be one of the last times as brothers that we can do this kind of trip or adventure. And so they tacked on to this family vacation four extra days when they were going to do this 57-mile hike on the Continental Divide. So Gail and I dropped them off, parked their car at one end by Steamboat Springs, you know, on one end of the trail at a trailhead there. And then we drove them north uh, to about the Wyoming border as they were going to be hiking back down along the Continental Divide. Now, you need to know something about our sons to understand this illustration. And there's a picture of the three of them. Uh, We'll put up here, whoop, go back to the picture of the three of them. Uh, Matt is in the middle. Matt is the oldest of our sons, and he's the planner. Now, I know he got that from his dad. Uh, But he likes to plan and organize things, and and he's very detailed on it. He's led trips. He's been certified as a guide, and he uh, puts this thing together. And so he sent his brothers a list, a detailed list of everything you would need for this trip. Now, when Matt does something, he does it really well, you know, and he wants to have the right clothes, the right equipment, you know, the layers, the zip on, zip off. And he weighs everything out down to the ounce so that his backpack's not going to be any heavier than it really needs to be. And he's within the weight limits. And, you know, he just does this in a very organized way. Now, Jason, he's on the right. He's our second born. He is highly intelligent. But when it comes to trips like this, and especially if his brother puts together a list, it's a little bit like whatever. 
you know, and he'll just, he'll just go and he wants to have fun. And so he probably looked at the list, you know, but my guess is maybe the night before he was just stuffing everything into the backpack and being ready to go and it'll be just fine. Now, in his defense, Jason doesn't own all the gear that Matt owns. And so uh, sometimes that's a limitation and you do have to make do with what you have. But then our third son, Ben there, he's on the left, he's the youngest. Uh, he dutifully followed his older brother's instructions, put his pack together, and, and he did pretty well on the trip. Now, we were told, you know, uh, you know, when you're dropping your three sons off on the Continental Divide and they're going to do this hike, you're not sure how they're going to be when they come out on the other end. So mom and dad have a little apprehension. We're praying for them, you know, it's... Will they get along? Will this go well? Or will they start arguing with each other? Or will they encounter grizzly bears? Or who knows what else might be up there? So we drop them off and we're praying for them. And we heard at the end of the trip there were a few hypoglycemic moments. You know, when the blood sugar gets a little low and they were a little testy. But other than that, they had a really great trip. And uh, they showed us afterwards some beautiful pictures of the mountain vistas. They had pictures of mountain goats that they saw, elk, deer, uh, beautiful flowers up there. And they really had a pretty good time. Thankfully, didn't see any grizzlies, just the tracks. All right. Well, I think about that illustration of Matt wanting them to have everything that they would need for this trip. And I think about what Peter writes here. Peter says that, in a sense, we are on an adventure in this life. We are following the Lord's will. We're trying to do what he asks us to do, and we're going to encounter trials and difficulties. But Peter wants us to know that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything that we need to live the Christian life successfully. And what's happening here, to put this in a setting, is that Peter is getting older, and he knows the time is going to come soon when God's going to call him home. And it's not just Peter who's going to pass from the scene, but the Apostle Paul also. Both of those men whom God used so powerfully are going to die by the order of Nero sometime between the years 64 to 68 A.D. We think it's around the year 67 A.D. that these men are put to death in Rome. And so Peter wants to make sure that these individuals that he's writing to, that the church will continue to grow and follow the Lord's will in their life. Now, some people, there are those who doubt that Peter actually wrote this letter. It was debated for, the, for some time, and it is still debated today as to whether or not Peter was the author of this letter. The primary objection that some people have is that the style and language is so very different from 1 Peter. But I think that can be explained by the fact that in 1 Peter, Peter tells us that that letter was written with the assistance of Silas. And Silas may have been more proficient in Greek or skilled in writing or he used some different things as he took what Peter was saying and he worked with him on that. Whereas Peter, in 2 Peter, makes no mention of that. He claims that this is his letter. He writes it by his own hand. He tells of situations in which he was an eyewitness. And I really think it is doubtful that 2 Peter would have been included in the canon of the New Testament if the early church did not believe that he was the author. 
And so this book is included, and I believe that it was written by Peter's own hand. And what he is telling us is that the age of the apostles is ending. Now think about that. The age of the apostles is coming to an end. Remember how the children of Israel must have felt when Moses was passing from the scene? I mean, Moses was the man who spoke with God. Moses went up on the mountaintop. Moses brought down the word of God, the law that God had given to us. And now here were these apostles who were eyewitnesses of Jesus. They had been with him throughout his ministry. They had heard him preach and teach. And now they're going to pass from the scene. How will the church remain an apostolic church? What does that mean? How will the church hold to the faith of the apostles? How will it hold to the gospel that was preached by the apostles? I mean, those things are absolutely essential if the church is going to survive and grow and bring that gospel to the ends of the earth. Peter knows that there are already false teachers who are trying to make their way into the church. He knows that there are threats. That's one of the reasons this letter was written, because there are people saying, ah, the Lord's never coming back. You know, we've been waiting here a long time. Jesus isn't coming back. And Peter addresses those issues head on in this letter. And what he tells us once again is that we have everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now we're going to look at what he lays out for us in this passage. I've gone a little bit into uh, including verses 3 and 4 in this because they're just so packed and we'll pick up the rest of it next week. But what he tells us first of all is that we have a faith that is equal to the apostles. We have a faith equal to the apostles. And you can understand why that's important. If, if they are dying and passing away, what he's trying to sell us and tell us is that there is no difference in our faith than in theirs. We come to God the same way through Jesus Christ. Peter begins this letter by identifying himself as a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. And he gives us two names and two titles. Kind of interesting how he begins. Two names, two titles. He tells us that he is Simon Peter. In the Greek, it's really Simeon is the name he uses. That's his Hebrew name, Simeon. We know him commonly as Simon, but that's the name by which he would have been known as a little boy. Can you see Peter running around? A little boy, you know, here's Simeon, his parents calling him. And it is his name before he met Christ. Everything that was part of his life before he came to Jesus is wrapped up in that name Simeon. That's who he was. That's how people know him. He's that guy who was kind of loud, kind of obnoxious at times. He'd be a fun guy to hang around. He was always putting his foot in his mouth. He was saying things that he maybe shouldn't have said or said without thinking. He was that kind of guy. But then he comes to know Christ. And he's given this name by Jesus, Peter. Petros. It means rock. And Peter, this guy who was so unstable at times, or could be up and down, you know, oh yeah, I'm going to do that, and then he doesn't. Peter, who denied that he even knew Jesus, becomes this rock. 
by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of God in his life. And he is radically changed. And that name Peter sums up everything in his life that happens after he met Christ. That was the, the key divide, if you will, there, the change that took place. And Peter becomes this leader of the church. Peter becomes this rock that others look to. Peter becomes this man who would die for Jesus for what he believed because he knew that these things that he wrote were absolutely true. And now he's saying to the church, hold on to this apostolic teaching. Hold on to what I have shared with you, and I'm going to say it to you once again. It's powerful. It's powerful. And all of us, when you think about that, you can identify with that change when you came to know Christ and how there's a before and there's an after and there's a difference that Jesus makes in our life when we come to know him in that kind of relationship. Peter also identifies himself as the servant of Christ. He's a slave. That's the word he uses. He doesn't use the word servant for a household servant. He uses the word for a slave, a common slave, saying, I belong to Jesus. He is my master. He is my Lord. This, this man that he knew as a friend, this man who came to earth, God in human flesh, he is now saying of him that I serve Jesus. And I serve his church. But Peter was also an apostle a specially chosen messenger of Christ who spoke and wrote with an authority given by God. He is this messenger, this appointed one, and we need to listen to what he says. A servant, yet one who speaks with authority. And he writes to us. He writes to all of those who through the righteousness of of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. There it is. He's saying that we have come to know Christ in our life, and we have come to acknowledge that he is both God and Savior. Did you see that? He puts those two together, and he's talking about Jesus, and he is declaring that Jesus is both God and Savior. He saw Jesus, and he came to understand that this was no ordinary man, but that he is fully God, fully man, God in human flesh. And here's the kicker. When he says that we have received a faith as precious as the apostles, that word precious means equal to the apostles. Our faith is the same as that of the apostles. They had the privilege of seeing Jesus with their own eyes, but they wrote about Jesus. They wrote all of these things in the Gospels and in the Epistles so that we might come to know who Jesus is and we share in that same faith. There is no second-class status here. We are all one in Christ. And Paul will declare that too in his letters that he wrote. In Ephesians 4, verses 4 to 6, he tells us that there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. There's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one, and God, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We all have the same Father. We all are part of the same body, the body of Christ. We all are baptized in one baptism into Christ. We all share a common faith. 
we are one in Christ. And in Galatians 3.28, Paul makes that same point when he says that there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He's saying, and he's writing mostly to those who are Gentiles here, you know, Peter is saying, listen, the Jews don't have an advantage over the Gentiles. A free man doesn't have an advantage over a slave. A male doesn't have an advantage over a female. We are all one in Christ. We are equal in his sight. And that was radical. That teaching was radical. It still is radical. I mean, nobody thought like that in that day. Nobody taught like that, that there was equality. No, there were classes, there were divisions, you know, there was rank and order in society, and if you were at the bottom, tough. You were out of luck. And here comes the word of the apostles, and what God is saying is that we are all equal in his sight. So treat one another that way. Love one another that way. Come together in the body of Christ. And what we hear Peter saying is that the key to an apostolic faith for us is to hold on to Jesus and to recognize our unity in Christ. Peter tells us, secondly, we have a personal relationship with God, a personal relationship with God when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. When you look at verses 2 and 3, he expresses his wish for us when he says, may grace and peace be yours in abundance. Grace, the mercy of God, may you experience that in abundance in your life. His love, his forgiveness. May you experience his peace. That's the old Hebrew greeting, shalom. Asking for God's blessing, well-being, wholeness, health, all of those things, may that be yours in abundance. How? Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Through the knowledge of God. We are going to see that all of these blessings to us in life come through our knowledge of Him. It's through knowing God and His Son, Jesus Christ. The knowledge of God is a theme in this short letter. Knowing God makes all the difference in life. And Peter isn't talking about the knowledge of God as some kind of abstract thing. It's not a collection of information and ideas. It's not just knowing a few verses or propositional statements in the Bible about God. Peter is talking about knowing God personally. Personally. Like you would a friend. Like you would someone that you are having a conversation with. You know, many years ago, the movie Jurassic Park came out. And it was an, there's an interesting scene in that movie where the paleontologist, Alan Grant, goes to this island where this man has kind of recreated these dinosaurs. And this guy who has devoted his life to studying fossils, the fossil record, and all of those things, comes face to face with a live prehistoric creature. And he sees these dinosaurs in the flesh and he falls to his knees. He is dumbstruck about it because what he has spent his whole life looking at bones and information and trying to recreate what he imagined a dinosaur might look like now becomes living, breathing flesh. And there's just no comparison. 
You know, when I think about the apostles, I think about Peter, and I think about Paul, they saw Jesus. They saw God in human flesh. And they came to that point where they understood who he was and they worshipped him and called him their Lord. That fullness of that kind of experience when we see Jesus face to face still awaits us in heaven. But it is something of what we experience in our heart when we come to know him and we are born again by the Holy Spirit. And just like for Paul, where something like scales fell from his eyes and his eyes were open and he saw who Jesus was, when we are born again, when we come and we ask Jesus to forgive our sins and be our Savior and Lord and his spirit works in us, our eyes are open. And we come to see Jesus in a different way and we experience that. And when somebody asks you, well, how do you know Jesus is real? I can tell you one of the ways that I know he's real is that he lives in my heart. And he's changed my life. And it's not just something I read about in the scripture, but it's something that I've experienced in my heart and I look forward to that day when we will see Jesus face to face. Peter writes as one who has known and seen Jesus in human flesh. J.I. Packer in his great book, Knowing God, asks the question, what is it that we were made for? And he answers it by saying to know God. What aim should we set ourselves in life? Well, it's to know God. What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? It's the knowledge of God. Jesus himself said that in John 17, verse 3. He said, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's the essence. That's the heart of eternal life. It is knowing God. He picked up, too, on the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, who said that this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast about this, that he understands and knows me. God's saying, listen, those things the world values, wisdom, strength, wealth, all those things that people take pride in and stock in, and you know, I'm, I'm smarter than anybody else, or I'm wealthier than anybody else, or you know, my strength's going to get me through whatever I encounter. Doesn't mean a thing. What matters to God is do we know Him? And once you become aware that the main business of life is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place on their own accord. His divine power has given us everything we need through our knowledge of Him who called us by his own glory and goodness. He called us. It's not just an invitation that is put out there. It's more like a summons. He calls us, and when God calls us, we answer. And his call is effective. And when we know God, what happens in our life is that all of the resources of heaven are now available to us. Which leads to the third point. That Peter tells us that we have been given the promises of God. The promises of God's word. By his grace, he has given us his very great and precious promises. 
everything we need. It's right here. It's written in this book that we can know God and the power of his Holy Spirit and the fellowship of walking with him. Do you want to have peace with God? Then read this book. Do you want to know how to have forgiveness of sins? Then come to his word. Do you want to know about your inheritance in heaven? Then look at what the author of scripture has to say. Do you want to experience greater joy or greater peace or love or wisdom or insight? Read this book. It'll tell you how. Do you want to understand yourself? Do you want to understand the struggles you face? Do you want to understand the world around you and what's happening in history and where the world is headed? It's here. It's in this book. And God will tell you what the future holds. He'll tell you everything that you need. And more than anything else, this book was written to change your life. It was written to change us from the inside out, that through believing the promises and living them in our life, living by the Word of God, he tells us that through that we might participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world that is caused by evil desires. I mean, those... Those are just profound statements. What do you mean, Peter, here? That by believing the word of God, by acting on that, we participate in the divine nature? What Peter is not saying here is that Peter is not saying that we become God. He's not saying that we become divine. What he is saying is that when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, God comes to dwell in us. His Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. And Jesus begins to work in our hearts to change us from the inside out. We're given the Holy Spirit to empower us, to open our eyes to see the truth of God's Word. The Holy Spirit produces in us the fruit of the Spirit, His love, His joy, His peace, His patience. We are changed from the inside out by the power of God. And that's what Peter is saying here, that when we trust God, when we take Him at His Word and believe it and live that out, God works in us. And our life is changed. And we escape the corruption that is in the world, those temptations we now have the power to say no to. And the world's destiny, we no longer share in because we belong to Jesus Christ. John Wesley once wrote that I am a creature of the day. I am passing through this life like an arrow passes through the air. I am a spirit. I come from God and I return to God. And I am just hovering over this great gulf for a few months, and then I will be no more, and I will step into eternity. And he said, I want to know one thing. I want to know the way to heaven. And God himself has condescended to teach the way, and he has written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book. At any price, give me the book of God. Do you value God's word like that? How precious is God's book to you? John Wesley wanted to know it and know it deeply and know it well. And that should be the desire of all of us as Christians to know God's word and to love it, to cherish it, to see God work in our life, to hold to the promises of God and to apply it daily. Because this word by the power of the Holy Spirit, will change our life. 
You know, I want to go back to the backpacking trip that our sons were on. Matt sent his brothers a list. Here's everything you need to have a good trip. Just follow the list. Well, it doesn't do any good to have a list of what you need if you don't listen to it or follow it. And our son Jason learned a very painful lesson on that trip. There's a couple pictures here that illustrate it. One of the things is if your backpack's too heavy, you get tired. You just have more weight to carry and more of a burden to carry. And it's the same for us in this life. If we don't bring our burdens to the Lord and lay them at his feet and we try to carry all of those things in our own life, we're going to get weary. We're going to get tired. Give it to him. But there's another lesson you learn too, that if you don't wear two pairs of socks in your boots and you don't take care of it, you get blisters. And you can go to the next picture. You get really painful blisters on your feet from carrying too heavy a load and from not having the right socks or equipment. Jason learned a painful lesson on that trip. Sometimes that's the way we learn too in life, that things go a whole lot better when we listen to the Lord and follow his will. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. If we don't follow it, it's not going to help. He has given us a faith that is equal to the apostles. What a great privilege. He's given us a personal relationship with God. We have been born again into a relationship with him. So call upon him in prayer and get to know him. And he has given us his very great and precious promises to strengthen us, to show us the way to live, to help us to escape the corruption that is in the world. So read it, study it, memorize it, meditate on it, believe it, and live it every single day. Let's pray. Father, what a great hope we have. And what great provision you have given to us through your word. Father, I'm excited to go through this letter that so much talks about how important it is that we be a people that are in the Word. And I pray that, just like John Wesley prayed, that we would hunger for this book. Lord, give it to us and help us to know it and study it well. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand for our benediction as we close today? And then you'll be dismissed. And now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. And all God's people said, Amen.